Welcome to the Books and Black Coffee podcast. We're happy to have you here. Get yourself a warm beverage and come chill with us for a little while. We're about to have a great discussion about a book that's going to feed your imagination and make you visit those moments where sometimes you wonder what if. Make yourself comfortable and let your imagination run free. Come explore the Glass Bead Game by Herman Hess with us. Well, I guess it's a little exchange today because I brought a bad case of stripes to T's library and he brought the Glass Bead Game. But let me tell you something about this. I gave T the light stuff that unveils its stuff is heavy. T then gave me the whole glass speed game. I'm deciphering and decoding and things, but it's a beautiful journey. I got to tell you that. And I think the most memorable parts are when I came back in conversation with T and I said, hey, yo, can you please confirm that there are different events and different versions of Connect in this book? And it's not one long situation because I got lost somewhere. With all of that, I would encourage anybody to read this book. I feel like the glass bead game is a series of games through which you interpret through the through the diverse but individual lens that only you have in translating this. And T, I just want to know, like, how, how did you come across it? What were your feelings going through the book when you first encountered it and rereading and just the conversations and things that it, it did for you? There was a Goodreads article that had Akala's, like, top 20 books. And this was, like, pretty high up on the list. Akala is someone who I respect a lot. I really like a lot of his music, uh, and especially some of the books that he's written. And, yeah, that's where I found it. And it was... I couldn't have even imagined what kind of book it was and the kind of themes and topics that it kind of addresses. Because I think... A real reason why it resonated with me was because the main story, there's like three different stories of old versions of Connect or the main character in it. Um, but the Bidin, Castalia and their whole intellectual way of life is kind of how old Tawanda kind of imagined a perfect world would be where instead of chasing money, we'd be chasing intelligence or like chasing knowledge. So I think that's why the book really struck a chord with me. But as we'll go through in the book... Herman Hess does a really good job of showing not a very biased, one-sided view of it because it's evident in the book some of the downfalls, the issues that come with that way of life. And it's something that I wouldn't have ever considered by myself before reading this book, so it opened my eyes towards that. So the book is a utopian novel set in, I think, the year 2200, uh, somewhere in Europe. Uh, and it's mainly set in a place called Castalia, where everyone who stays there follow really strict laws and guidelines um, and rules that are based on tradition. Uh, and the whole idea of the place is everyone is dedicated to study, to studying humanities. So that's studying society and cultures. Um, and they especially value music and this, th- this thing called the glass bead game. And essentially the glass bead game is set for the elites in this place called Castalia. And basically what it is, is how good you are at making connections between stuff that seemed random. And I think the example, well, they give a lot of examples in the book, but one of the examples was how like classical music relates to gardening, for example. I think that's, that's what they used in the book. So obviously... The glass bead game is for those who know the most. If you know about loads of different things, 
then you have more of a chance of making connections where some others might not be able to. So that's the whole point of the place. And the Magister Ludi is what they call them in the book. But that is the person who's like the head of everything. Like he's the most respected and knowledgeable in theory. And the Magister Ludi is kind of remind me of Grandmasters in chess. Um, and chess is a game where you can either look at the pieces as all separate and of a given value. And you basically just have to take more of the person's pieces and then get them into checkmate. Or you can look at it more as like an interconnected strategy where moving one piece changes the balance of the whole and you kind of use all of the pieces as a system. And although this book is fictional, I really felt a connection between the two, um, even to real life, because I feel like there is a connecting thread between everything in our lives. Like our history and past lives contribute heavily to our thoughts and emotions today. Like even the food we eat, can either heal your body or cause breakouts on your skin. Like anger in our hearts will show up days or weeks or months later in like a random discussion or argument with someone you care about. And obviously the time's gone past so you can't connect it back or you, you struggle to connect it back to the source of that anger. And Herman Hesse uses the glass bead game to show that the most intelligent humans are those who can make seemingly abstract connections between different aspects of life. But before we get into it, I also wanted to ask you, V, because when I first listened, I listened to this book as an audiobook, and I don't think I was aware of the fact, or it wasn't something that stayed with me, the fact that everyone in Castalia is male. And I think they make a point of that in the book. And I was just wondering if, if you noticed that or were aware of it the first time that you read it, and why you, why you think that's the case, or why you think Herman Hesse made a point of it in the book. So I think we invisible women out here. We've been invisible for a minute. I think the real reason is it could be down to two things, possibly more, but what comes to mind is was it a time when he thought that women would not be interested in the order and the life of Castalia, of consuming themselves with intellect and education and knowledge and the glass bead game? Or is it women being limited in being able to engage in that life? Um, if one woman was to, uh, or a girl was to enter the journey, how uncomfortable would she feel in such an environment where she's the only one? Would there be some gaslighting to make her exit the order so that she doesn't disrupt what is normal and usual? So I think it's it's a lot of things to think about, but it's, it's possible that there's an assumption likely um, that women would not want to engage in that lifestyle or if they did enter the order, as they call it in the book, um, somebody would do something to make them feel so uncomfortable that they're just like, deuces, I don't want to be here anymore. So with that, education is a massive theme in the book and the main character, Connect, um, from the very start of the book, Herman Hess describes him in a way that shows him from an early age being really inquisitive at school and like always asking questions and I think that's why he was picked out in the end to go to Castalia and it's interesting reading a book or a novel about that because like I said right at the start of the, of the podcast it's something that really resonates with me I think education to me is the most incredible thing I'm fully addicted to learning but I think that that's something that develops like the more you learn and the more you find out 
like that fuel it's like snowballing effect right you just want more and then you realize you know absolutely nothing and then you just keep wanting more right but I don't think that happens without learning in the first instance you know what I mean it's a really hard one to describe so yeah I really like that part about the book where they kind of forsake money um in the pursuit of knowledge. And I know something we've spoken about a bunch of times too, is just um, education also has to be accessible to everyone. And it's kind of wild to think how many amazing creative brains or how many more we could have had if the whole world's population was educated and were driven to want to learn more. That kind of dies out when we start working, we have families and other commitments, isn't it? Um, and it would be interesting to see a world where it was that way. And just, just the center of Joseph connect at this story. I think it's just so beautiful how he has no origins and this permits his character to live in different stories which don't necessarily connect in their timing chronologically or settings. But his origins and his history in this way are irrelevant to the story because it just adds layers to the beauty of the beat game, the glass beat game, with a chosen nobody who makes so much impact. Um, a character without a death is given a life that is open to several endings. And we have the opportunity to explore through his character just how beautiful it is when a seemingly nobody is so excellent and intelligent and flourishes in a society which is aware of limitations, as it is aware of the value of intellect. And here's somebody, and here's somebody who just effortlessly is intellectual, is gifted. And he just goes through the world and he does, it's not a cockiness. It's not a disregard for other humans, but it's just a pure soul that is hungry and is given opportunities with that intellect to interact with the world and, and show that excellence and almost teach people who are confused that if I had as much intellect as connect, man, somebody gonna know something. I'm gonna act, I'm gonna act a fool. But his character teaches us that in navigating societies, it's okay to be the other, to be outside of the norm and just flourish as a, as a, as a being. And being open, I see his, as, as he gets older, he becomes consumed with the Castalian order and life. But even with that connection, he's still able to separate himself and hear the perspectives and the the notions and the disagreements that people have about Castali and I, I think that's just so beautiful. Um, and education will do that to you when when you know that you know a whole lot, you know you don't know a lot at all. So you it humbles you to always be learning from people and people who are different from you and accepting that difference. Nothing is harder, yet nothing is more necessary than to speak of certain things whose existence is neither demonstrable or probable. The very fact that serious and conscientious men treat them as existing things brings them a step closer to existence and to the possibility of being born. That's one of the quotes from the books that I thought was really important to share. Um, it just kind of makes me think about the importance of imagination, abstract thinking, and just giving your space yourself and just giving yourself time and space to just think. Um, we always make a thing about daydreaming in our society as though it's kind of wasting time or that nothing good comes of it. But actually, I think it's important to have time to yourself and just let your brain wander and see what kind of connections that you make. Because exactly like 
um, connects. Teacher tells him all dreams and all things that we see as reality now, all the cars, all the technology started off as an idea. Someone made a connection in their mind about how things could work and it didn't exist at the time. And don't be scared to think about things that aren't really tangible. Um, What I mean by that is sometimes our brains find it hard to kind of make connections or to think about things that we can't prove or things that we can't measure, as an example. But that's kind of the beauty of abstract thinking, because you kind of throw away all of the all of the shackles on your thoughts and the limitations that you put on it. Don't be afraid to take yourself there and just let your let your imagination run free. So like we mentioned, the people in Castalia are dedicated scholars. So they literally spend their lives studying. But in order to stay there and to live that life, you have to give up on family, politics, material wealth, uh, the study of psychology, and even your instincts. You just have to follow the law and just study. And I wanted to kind of pick your brains on that, V, because the idea of dedication, I don't know if it means different things to different people. I don't think, as a society, we really have dedication to any cause. But maybe this is my definition of dedication. Maybe it's different to yours. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think, or what does dedication mean to you? And do you see it in the world around us? Well, I think dedication is when we immerse ourselves in what we love, what excites us, feeding ourselves to reach whatever heights that please us. Um, When you look at dedication, I guess this means consuming yourself with what a task or responsibility requires of you in order to serve the people that you are serving, you are educating, you are impacting, you are working with. Does our society have any dedication anymore? No, I don't think that. It's still there. I just don't think it's as prevalent as it could be. Um, We give our time and our energy to causes. But once the hype goes, it diminishes. Like the dedication that we have for it is if nobody's watching, uh, is it worth anything? But we don't realize that when you really are dedicated to something genuinely, whether there's people watching or not, whether there's people listening or not, you recognize that what you're doing has impact. Whether that reaches one person, one person is enough. One person or one community or one group is enough because those are people who can go through life benefiting from the solutions or the frameworks or the policies or or the models that you put in place for them to live their lives or to, to navigate with ease or navigate with tools. So it would be beautiful to see a world that doesn't care about an audience and really locks right back into the purpose at their core and what excites them at their core and what's important to them at their core so that they can show up daily dedicating themselves to the work that is attached to their journeys and their lives and the people they're called to serve. The idea of dedication, I think, is also a scary one for many people. Because I think in order to be dedicated to a cause, 
you also have to make some type of sacrifice. You have to give up or change or stop doing certain things in order to progress towards whatever it is you're dedicated to. And I think the idea of that in our society today, I include myself in our society today, is because it's scary and we like to have a life where I don't have to compromise. I can just have everything in my control, how I like it, in my comfort zone. But uh, I always I always think of the example of like training in the gym. I trained for years, still eating what I wanted and not really paying attention to what I did in the gym or what I ate or what I drank. But when I fully dedicated myself, I realized some of these luxuries and some of these quick dopamine hits that I was addicted to, I'd have to give them up temporarily for gratification later on. And it is difficult. Sometimes you have to make choices that suck. That's everywhere in life, isn't it? It's just a constant set of choices and trying to deal with the consequences. And if you haven't, and you don't really know what I'm speaking about, just try it out. I guess what you're trying to ask us to do is check what we commit our consistencies to. What things are we starting and continuing with until we reach the end or we reach the impact that we desire to see or reaching the people that need us or getting to the desired result that we want to see in ourselves, for example, with consistent training. And one of the things, it's like you mentioned earlier, V, one of the things that make, makes Joseph stand out is the fact that he never just blindly follows. And it's interesting because that's the, that's the thing that got him into Castalia, but obviously that's also the thing that kind of caused the ruckus when they got there. And that's what the citizens are forced to do. They have to live in a way where they're not allowed to ask questions. They just study whatever they want to study, but they don't ask any other questions. So all of the things that they learn and the histories and the intricacies of life, there's no application to it. So they just know the knowledge just for knowing it. And that's a battle that Connect has internally throughout the whole book, where he's having all these knowledges and insights into life, but he can't help but wonder what's going on in the rest of the world, like world wars, um, famine, hunger, and all the other negative sides of life that they're shielded from. And it just draws attention to, to the fact that we should all always ask questions. We should never blindly follow anything. Even if you read something or even if you have a conversation that in that instant you feel emotion towards or you feel passionate about, just ensure that you ask the questions that you would like to ask. So find out from your perspective what that means. Um, otherwise, we, we all just end up following, but we don't know where we're being led. And what I think is on a kind of similar note in the book um, is the conversation between Joseph and his master. Should we be mindful of dreams, Joseph asked. Can we interpret them? The master looked into his eyes and said tersely, we should be mindful of everything, for we can interpret everything. And when I read that, it kind of reminded me of a Nipsey Hussle lyric uh, where he says, whatever we believe, and that's what we project, so that's what we perceive. And it kind of just makes me think how important it is that we write our own story, um, and we follow our own intuition and guidance when we're thinking about life and how we want to act and the things that we 
want to achieve in life. Um, it is true that we make our own reality. We perceive the world differently, every single human being. And how you perceive it is based on what you project in the world. Um, and that in turn is based on what you believe and the stories that we tell ourselves and the narrative that we have going on inside. And it's pretty interesting. There's this line that caught me, uh, the obliteration of individuality the maximum integration of the individual into the prevailing culture and its standards. And this is exactly what T was talking about. And it is being so consumed with how things are done and what is acceptable that we never question, actually, does it sit right with me? Do, do I really want to live like this? Like, is this everything that there is to surviving and functioning and moving within the society? And I think it's a beautiful thing about uh, connect. It's not just him experiencing. I really feel like his character encourages us to go on a ride with him and to ask ourselves some questions in the real world of when I go with the group, when I think with the group, is that really what sits right with me? Is that really what um, I agree with? Um, to because we we can have we can have 50% of agreeing with things and then the other half is like, Ooh, I, don't, I don't know about that. And it's okay, but you, you just got to identify what those things are. And don't obliterate your individuality. It's what makes you beautiful in the net, the big picture of this planet and society. UB40 have a great song pointing towards that called I Am A One In Ten. Well, I think the song's called One In Ten. You should go listen to it if you like ska or reggae. Connect is in, I think it's it's one of the first times he meets um, the guy who end up ends up being his master and who kind of raises him. And Connect says, if only there were a dogma to believe in. Everything is contradictory, everything tangential. There are no certainties anywhere. Every Everything can be interpreted one way and then again interpreted in the opposite sense. The whole of world history can be explained as development and progress and can also be seen as nothing but decadence and meaninglessness. Isn't there any truth? Is there no real and valid doctrine? The master had never heard him speak so fervently. He walked on in silence for a little, then said, There is truth, my boy, but the doctrine you desire, absolute, perfect dogma, that alone provides wisdom, does not exist. Nor should you long for a perfect doctrine, my friend. Rather, you should long for the perfection of yourself, the deities within you not in ideas and books. Truth is lived, not taught. Be prepared for conflicts, Joseph Connect. I can see that they have already begun. And that quote just points to me to, to the power of self and the, the sovereignty over yourself um, and living your truth because it's so subjective and it's so personal to each one of us. So becoming just another one number in a massive pool of similarities and sameness and pigeonholing. Um, we all individually have to choose what our reality and what our truth is. Um, and we have to ask questions and learn in order to do that. T, that, that, that weight right there? I, I'm not sure I got the capacity for it, my dude. But there's one line. Like the whole segment of what you said is powerful, but there's just one line. Truth is lived, not taught. 
I think that's a call to action for us to live in the reality of the things we believe or those things that we are hungry to learn. The path is about discovery and discovery that hopefully brings clarity with each step we take and each move we make in. Just bringing us closer to being able to navigate that path just a little easier, just a little clearer day by day um, from one season of growth to the next and never growing tired to grow and to learn and to learn ourselves and to learn our core and to celebrate that core day by day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. So remember to share, rate, and review. Until next time, happy reading.